Hello and welcome back to March Joe Rugby, where we chat about everything rugby. Back again with my two friends, Max and Maliki, for another episode, a review again of this round of Champions Cup and Challenge Cup matches. We had four matches this weekend um, on Saturday and Friday night, so lots to talk about. Should we start off with the Saracens versus Rassig 92 match? Now, Unfortunately, Maliki and I weren't able to watch this match, but we did watch the highlights in thorough detail and made sure that we got enough information about the game that we can actually comment on it properly. But Maxim, seeing as you watched the game, being a loyal Saracens supporter, take us through it. What went wrong? Yeah. What was the final score? How did that all pan out? So basically, the way I just, so the final score was 19-15 to Racing. I would actually say, to be fair, they were the better side. Um, they scored a try sort of fairly late on in, in the 70s minutes uh, through a bit of Finn Russell magic. I think he was our player to watch for Racing, I think. Um, so little surprise uh, that he tore it up. It was a lovely little chip over the top. Vakatawa uh, recovered it and then gave it to Juan Imov, who scored it, like, scored it brilliantly. Um, in terms of what went wrong for Saris, I mean... I think it was quite obvious that they were missing like big players like Tim Swinson at second row. It was just like he's just a mile off the pace. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought Saris played really well. To be fair, standout player of Saris probably Billy Vinopola. Actually, like I thought over the last few months he's been sort of dropping off it slightly. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but like in his ball carrying, I remember watching him like three years ago in his ball carrying. He was just like an absolute machine and I feel like he's been he's been less effective recently but in this game he was like back to what I'd always remembered him as being um but I honestly thought Saris were going to win the game um and because Saris just somehow find a way to win uh and Racing weren't particularly impressive to be honest but I think one of the main reasons like Saris lost it was because Firstly, I don't think the defence was quite as tight as before and discipline was a lot worse. And also set piece, I mean, they lost like a number of lineouts and a scrum. Whereas I remember watching uh, the game against Leinster and it was like, we're never going to lose a set piece or anything like that. Um, and also Brad Barrett got injured, who was absolutely exceptional. And so did Duncan Taylor. Um, that being said, Don Morris, who I think we also picked up on was like, he's so impressive. Um, young player coming through but yeah very very upsetting uh, I'm proud of the Sari so uh, to getting that far but yeah one, one step too far I think we overachieved to be honest but I saw um, I think it was on like Ultimate Rugby or something that they were saying that this marks the end of an era for Saris because obviously they're going down to the championship it like marks like their like kind of dominance in Europe where like I think it's like isn't it like they've won the past three uh, European like cups in the past four years or something like that. Mm. So I don't know. What do you make of that, Mackie? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Like I've I've spoken on like supporter chats to other Sarri supporters, and I feel like <laughs> ever <laughs> everyone's like seems actually quite positive about it, and they're quite like, yeah, it's end of an era, but everyone seems like quite excited to rebuild and like quite excited for a new challenge really obviously we'd like to continue to dominate but I feel like once you've won like so many times you also are looking for like another kind of challenge oh, in a way. no one's ever but thought about it like that that being said that being <laughs> said I think I mean if you look at the group of players that played on the weekend um, I mean none of them are going anywhere um, and I think 
like that's essentially like what the championship squad will be and it's probably the third best team in Europe or fourth best team in Europe which is pretty insane if you think about it um but no, I think I'd agree with like the comments made. Obviously, it's end, it is end of an era and Saris won't be able to play in Champions Cup until like 2023, I think it is, which is an insanely long time. Um, it's a shame, but I think, I think they'll be back, um, back stronger than ever in 2023. Um, we'll see how it goes in Championship. But yeah it is of course sad times i think it'll be sad for the whole of europe though in terms of like the comp- competition wise <laughs> do you not think no it is true it is true you do want to see you want to see the top players and the best players playing in the top competition so it's sad in that kind of sense but um at the same time going back to the match i just thought i'd make one comment saying that do you think it was almost like england in in the world cup where saris had almost played their final before in, in the round before against Leinster, because obviously we, we commented on them last week and we said how fantastic they were. And, you know, it's been such a busy schedule. Maybe they would, all the players were just knackered. They played a similar team, obviously, as well, for pretty much exactly the same starting lineup. Maybe the players were knackered. And that's not to say that um, Racing wouldn't be knackered as well, because they, they were run a bit ragged by Claremont as well. So mm. there's always that factor of maybe mentally as well. But I still think, you know, judging by how close the game was, you know, four points in it, I think maybe if, again, again, we talk about Farrell, Barrett and Taylor, the, the two centres who got injured and, and Farrell not being there, when yeah. you don't have that piece of magic and when you have a racing team that's literally full strength, for the Saris to even come that close is kind of an unbelievable achievement. Mm. Um, One thing I also, was thinking also, Sorry, if I just touch on Finn Russell again, like it was kind of his moment of magic combined with Rakatawa, two absolutely world-class players who just combine to, to score a runaway try, a breakaway try, just Finn Russell noticing the space in behind. It was, a, it was an amazing try, like seriously good running, like Rakatawa spots the space in behind. He obviously calls for the kick. Finn Russell just nudges it over. It's a perfectly weighted kick. Everything just kind of worked out for Rassing and Saris, I guess, didn't have that kind of strength and depth maybe on the bench to just come in and support those players like Brad Barrett and Duncan Taylor that they desperately need for that defensive shift. So, Yeah, I definitely you know. agree with that. What, what I was thinking also, adding on Ed's point is, do you think the, like, the creativity of having Finn Russell at 10, like compared to that, obviously compared to Sexton, Sexton's obviously nowhere near as creative as Russell. So do you think having him is like going to be able to spot the gaps in the the Sarri's defense mm. which obviously I, I i think it did um but yeah obviously leaving, leading the try but then also do you think if Racing do win the final how do you think that sets up with him and the lion squad yeah i think firstly i i think with finn russell to be honest with you i actually think Racing attacked pretty poorly all game uh, apart from that one well, one moment of magic, which I feel like a lot of people, everyone's shouting, over, like leading into your second question, everyone's shouting, oh, Russell for the Lions 10, which I actually completely disagree with. Because I think I was looking at his overall performance. Like, Vakatawa was, he was, he was dreadful the whole game. I don't know how he got man the match, if I'm perfectly honest with you. He was just like, it was just that moment of magic where he basically tore it up and won the game, which, fair enough, maybe that does warrant a man the match. But even so, I think that I would say Duncan Taylor and Don Morris when he came on 
absolutely like walked over Vakatawa. He he did nothing all game. Like that was the only moment he had. And same with Finn Russell. That was it. Like he tried that chip over the chip, chip over the top like three or four times and it didn't work. And then there's that one time it comes off. Uh, and everyone's like, oh wow, he has to be Lions ten. So yeah. I would say even if they win it, I don't think he should be Lions ten. I still think like for me it's uh, an Owen Farrell like yeah. clearly. Also um, touching you- touching on that, touching on that, I just think that against South Africa I mean, yeah, you can choose a creative 10, but at the same time, like South Africa are renowned for being a defensive team and Saracens are renowned for being a defensive team. So to play like almost opposite to your, to your point, Maxin, do you not think we need that creativity? Because Finn Russell is that kind of game-changing player. So I'm not saying that I think Finn Russell should be the Lions 10. I'm just saying he's definitely up there in, in the options, obviously, and they should, definitely shouldn't overlook him just because yeah, he's a more maybe. creative player. But... You know, Sarri's are one of the best defensive teams in the world, and he's just beaten them with like one simple play. So let's say it's the same situation at the end of a Lions test. Who, who are you going to go to to make that game-changing moment? But but I would also say I'd say off the bench, yes. But I would, but I think if there was a like a more a, a ten with better game management, they would have already won the game by that stage. That that would be my counter okay. to that because like they no, did. That's fair. That's fair. I I don't know. He wasn't that good all game, and I think. To, to be honest, I mean, this might sound bitter or whatever, but I do think Racing got away with one because, like, they scored. Like, very, it was very late on, like, and Sarri's... It was sev- I, 75 minutes in. Yeah, I yeah. really thought Sarri's had had it down. But can I also men- just mention Nigel Owens? Because, I like, he was actually just, like... It, it's the worst I've ever seen him referee, like, on a, on a personal note for him. Because, like, I don't know. When I think of, like, a good referee... I think it's someone who's actually going to like let the game flow, and if something's like marginal decision, for example, like you're not gonna, you're not really going to have any examples. It. Yeah, I've got some examples. All right, so the first one is, for example, so Racing were in their own twenty-two on their five-meter line trying to clear clear a kick, right? And he was about to box kick, and Najones was like, "Use it, use it," and then he literally spent like three more seconds, and he gives a free kick against Racing, like a scrum on their own five-meter line instead of letting them clear the ball, like, and literally giving Saris a second chance to score, like, on the five-meter line, like, pretty early on in the game. It's just like, what, what are you doing? Like, trying to just ruin the game or what? Uh, another example is, like, uh, so Saris got into, like, Racing's 22, um, and what was his name? Wenceslas Loray or Donica Ryan, I can't remember. One of them got on the ball for literally, like, half a second and I, I and and he called for a penalty against Saris instead of letting it play even though he didn't even survive the clear out and I just think like from watching super rugby games like they would have so let that go which which, which makes like honestly I'll, I'll, I'll try and find it and show you guys but it just makes me think like come on are we people don't want to watch that people want to watch someone try and score I think, tries I think I completely agree with you Max and just watching the highlights like because obviously they show you what all the penalties were given for. Because the game was a majority of penalties, so apart from the seven points that were scored for mm-hmm. the try. So all the other points in the game were penalties. So looking like at some of the penalties that were given, some of them were obviously, but there were definitely two or maybe even three penalties. And this is in most games that I've watched where the person who's jackling over the ball doesn't actually have the ball and then gets cleared out. And I've always seen it like you need to survive the clean out. And if you don't survive the clean out with the ball in your hand still, or, or you get knocked back and the ball kind of slips back and whatever, like you haven't actually survived the clean out and therefore you're not, you're not actually going to steal the ball. 
Mm-hmm. I think I think the the attacking team needs to be given the benefit of the doubt, which is what happens in Super Rugby nowadays, where if if you're on the ball and you're getting cleaned out, then you you get pinged for for not for not releasing the tackle or something, or or the attacking team is always given the benefit of doubt, which I think is good because it allows the teams in Super Rugby to play really attacking rugby and get quick ball and play the rugby that everyone wants to see. Mm. Whereas like if if referees are just pinging for someone literally sliding back on the ball, like uh, I've seen that happen so many times. It's literally they'll just have one hand on the ball and they'll just slide back, so they're not even actually properly on the ball. Yeah. And and it's just how can you even call that holding on on the floor? Because if you wait another 0.3 seconds, then that guy's getting cleared cleared out, and it's not a penalty at all. Yeah. Uh, other shit. Like uh, I completely agree with you, Ed. One other example, which like it just frustrated me so much. Um, obviously, as a Sarri's example, but essentially, like so, Sarri's had so much momentum, like going into Racing's twenty-two, and do you know those rucks where like no one competes. So like obviously mm-hmm. that, and so like to be fair, Sarri's did go off their feet. So they went off their feet at the rock, but like no yeah, one was yeah. there to compete and he just pings it. And it's like, like, do you want the game to be boring? Like, do you want there to be no tries and just to be penalties? Because you're making it that way and it's shit to watch and it is I a spectator think, sport. I think, that's a really, I think that's a really tough one because, you know, the rule is if you're going into the rock, you have to arrive up. You can't just flop on top of the player, even if they're not competing. But I mean, it is difficult to not, to not flop on top of the player that's gone down if there's no one there to compete against. So I think maybe there needs to be some sort of, possibly some sort of rule change where it's like, if no one's competing and someone goes off their feet, then technically they're not actually affecting the run of play. Yeah. But it's also, it's also, it's also, for example, we're going to come on to the Bristol game in a second um, or a bit later on in this episode. But there was a point in the the Bristol match where I think it was Callum Sheedy, it looked like he was about to go onto the ball and jackal. And then suddenly just step back out of the way. And the guy, the, the, the guy playing for Bordeaux kind of comes in and just flops over the ball because he's expecting Callum Sheedy to be there. Mm. And Sheedy just kind of steps away and the guy dives over the, ru- dives over the ruck, obviously, because there's no one there all of a sudden and he's got nothing to hit. Mm. So, and the referee pings, pings um, the guy going over the ruck because he's gone off his feet. When actually, Callum Sheedy's looked like he's going to go in for the ball and then not, and then stepped away. And it's literally just, how can you... I don't know. It's kind of, it's such a tough one, but it's you're allowed just to back out of a rock like that. Yeah, yeah, apparently. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be able to? It's kind of. So okay, so theoretically, it's like a fake. Right, it's like a fake. If out. he actually dives, if he dives to take him out, he's not. Re- he's not on his feet, is he? Even if the player. No, but there. he's technically tackling him as a clean out, and then it becomes like part of the clean out. And like generally, people don't stay on their feet at a rock, do they? If they if they've if they've cleaned someone out, they usually tend to like push them off and then flop yeah. on flop on top so as long as they clean someone out first it's fine to flop but if, if you're not cleaning anyone out and you're flopping on top then you're technically killing the ball <laughs> even though no one's comp- flopping on top you're technically um, killing, killing the ball for the other team to compete so I don't yeah. really understand but yeah but anyway just... I mean the crux of it is I was, I was disappointed by the, how that game went given that I mean you had Rassing who like are arguably the most exciting attacking team and you scored one try like, was it one trial? Yeah, we expected, we expected a bit more of a show. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you've got like, or Alex Good, Elliot Daly, like Maitland, like some really exciting players and Sarri's, Sarri's team as well. And there was just nothing to show for that, I think, partially due to refereeing. 
Um, but anyway, yeah. goodbye to Saris. So commiserations, Saracens. We you will be sorely missed from both um, the European Cup and the Premiership next season. But um, moving on swiftly, <laughs> moving on swiftly to Exeter versus Toulouse at Sandy Park, which happened straight after that game. Um, Maliki, what are your initial thoughts on the game? Uh, I thought Exeter did well. Obviously, they did kind of put quite a lot of points on Toulouse. Um, thought Toulouse would have done a bit better, but yeah, good win for Exeter. And uh, yeah, as as well, I, as I hope you guys are, I hope hoping for the Exeter to go all the way, being all from England, want the England team to win. But um, what do you guys reckon as well? Okay, yeah, no, I may I agree with you. I I actually want Exeter to win now. Like I think I think they a hundred percent deserve to win as well. Um, it's I was quite a funny story though to you there. So like I d- I didn't get to watch the game. I was talking to my housemate about the match. And he was, I was like, oh, who scored for Exeter? I think it was like, Harry Williams got two tries. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, classic. I was like, okay, right, watch. Okay, we'll, we'll go back and watch the highlights. I bet you £10 that these are from picking goes and Exeter being boring as fuck. Um, and we watched it back and yeah, of course it was. Um, they did score one really nice try though. Yeah, well. yeah, Joe Simmons, uh, So Jimmons scored a nice try, but... Uh, now, nah, I mean, extra at Sandy Park, realistically, like they're not going to lose, are they? Um, so yeah, nah, they were, they were dominant. Sick win for fair. Exeter. Um, Ed, any yeah. other thoughts? So, so the the final score was twenty eight eighteen, so a ten point margin. Um, I honestly, I don't really know what happened to lose because I think Exeter, Exeter, although we might call them boring, I don't think they actually played the most boring brand of rugby. I think up until the point where they get within five minutes of the try line, they're actually very unboring. And then it'll be another two <laughs> minutes of pick and goes and boring rugby. But the thing is, they do have, like, Joe Simmons had an excellent game, obviously, kicked well um, and threaded some balls through. I think O'Flaherty played really well off on the wing and Jack Noel also got involved. And, and when you've got these players like making breaks in the middle, because Exeter just supply quick ball and do moves in midfield and they make all the ground and then they let their forwards do the work. So even though we might call it boring, which it kind of is, it's so efficient. I just don't, don't think Toulouse could handle it. Even so, I think obviously we can't really forget about someone like Chesney and Colby in a match like this because he's always going to, do something that everyone that's going to amaze everyone, and he did, and he and he set up, he set up one of the tries I think with an amazing jinking run, and one of the one of the steps that he made was just the, the change of pace. He was almost at a standstill, and then suddenly he was lightning fast down the wing. It was just incredible. Like you really can't, you can't, like you can't replace that kind of that kind of speed. It's just unmatchable. So. Like I, I, I think Toulouse were maybe a little un, unlucky not to come closer, but at the same time, I think Exeter are just a machine at the moment, and they just they can't really can't really be be beaten by a team by like from France really. Who are just but, but this consistent. is the thing, Ed. So like before in prior years, I thought the exact same thing. I know I said that before this match. I was like, I just I, I thought okay, Exeter are a machine. There's no way they can lose to anyone. Like. Outside, even outside of England, but they seem to lose. Uh, to pardon the pun, <laughs> um, <laughs> they did. They did somehow. Oh god! But when they're playing to lose, like uh, this is. I mean, I watched the highlights back. Obviously, I didn't get to catch the game, but it seems that they've actually managed to convert this over onto an international stage. Whether that is because 
they are genuinely like incredible, which we know they are in England, but whether they can translate that into Europe, we're not sure. Or whether it's because Toulouse are a French team and the French are just outrageously inconsistent and can't string together multiple games. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do we think about um, Joe Simmons? I know some people are calling him, uh, calling him, uh, well, saying that he should be called out for England. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, I yeah, really I haven't seen him enough. I, I guess, I guess he's kind of proving himself a little bit. But does he come over Farrell? Does does he does he top Farrell? Not not really. No one really does. Like I think maybe in some smaller games he should maybe get the call up to the squad. But then you've also got Marcus Smith, who's playing well in a pretty average Quinn side. He's really standing out in every game. So I think you know. Also, the whole of the extra team's playing well. So the moment the moment Joe Simmons, like I don't know it it. it is it the extra team? If you put Joe Simmons in a team like Leicester or a Harlequins, would he still be as good? Would everyone gas him up as much? Or is it just because he's got people like Henry Slade, Jack Noll around him? Like that, that pack that they have is immense and they can't really be stopped when they get near the try line. They just score tries. It's silly. Yeah. Like they score I mean, tries for fun. I do get what you mean. But you could say that about any of like the Saracens players, for example, and like why they should be selected for England. I just think it's hard to overlook someone who's been playing in such a dominant side for like throughout he's twenty three as well. He's not he's really young. Like he's been playing in that side for three years and he hasn't even got a look in. Like maybe it just goes understand. back to what to what uh, um we were saying about Eddie Jones in the previous yeah. episode, like maybe he just doesn't fit in with England's plans and there's other players that Eddie Jones would prefer just because of their attitude, their mindset, how they play. I don't know. But he seems like a pretty like solid kind of not going to change the game, if you see what I mean, but still won't really make many mistakes and will make the right passes and with good support outside him. I mean, Witten and Slade. You know, you've got two two great options there. Because if you go to Slade, you've got another playmaking centre. Mm. But if you go to Witten, then you've got a bulldozer in the, in the middle. And then you've got Devoto coming off the bench, who kind of replaces Witten in that um, bulldozing uh, aspect of, the, of that 12 role. So mm. I just think possibly give him a chance. You know, maybe see him play against someone like Japan or Georgia in this upcoming tournament that we have in, in, in uh, when is it? Is it in November or October? I think it's November, isn't it? Yeah, so in, in the November international kind of eight-team competition that we're, we're having, which is really exciting, maybe give him a chance then against against a weaker side like a Japan, like like a Georgia or someone like that. Mm. We know we can win. Because we, we obviously know that Joe Simmons has got talent. But at the same time, he needs to start proving it. He needs to get he needs to get that chance to prove on the international scale before anyone can actually say anything about him. Yeah, true. That's true. Kind of... No, I'm just mightily impressed. Like, well, Jack. So Jack Maunder's also a young English, I believe, uh, scrum half, and they just basically contained the shit out of Duponnet and Tamak, who arguably are the best international pairing nine ten in the northern hemisphere at least. Um, which is just like I was. Just, yeah, I'm just really slightly surprised and very, very impressed. Um, but yeah, do we want to talk about Challenge Cup? Yes, please. Um, Malachi, so so we, we, we watched, we actually watched this on Friday night. It was Bristol versus Bordeaux Begler. Classic Fred Jackson. Bordeaux Begler. Um, <laughs> Bordeaux Begler. Um, so so it, 
it was 20 all at full time, which was very exciting because we got to see some extra time, another, another 20 minutes of rugby. Oh, wow. Uh, I was actually watching it with my mum. I think it's the first rugby my mum's watched in about a year now. Norma? Since. And Norma, of course, if you saw the stories on Instagram, she was very excited playing with her tennis balls around in front of the teddy. Um, but yeah, Maliki. So it was 37-20 at the end of extra time to Bristol. What did you make of the game? Uh, yeah, it was yeah really good competition. I thought they were, all the way through they were really um, yeah they were really evenly matched, and um, yeah obviously the, at Bristol managed to pull through right at the end. Um, I think mainly I think Max Max Malin's got man the match, but I think you couldn't uh, put aside the performance that uh, Semi Randrandra made. Like he is just OP, literally. He runs and he just sucks in men and just. I think one of the, one of the last tries by Max Malins, um, that just shows how like useful he is to having a team. But um, yeah, really good to see Bristol make the final. Yeah, I think specifically on that semi-randrada point, he actually, he's the best in the world at, this, at, this, at running the outside arc. And his turn of pace, again, like Chesney and Colby, is incredible. Like you'd think for a man of his size, he wouldn't have that kind of pace. But he literally starts running that outside arc and they can't catch him and then he'll either dummy and go or give it outside because there's always those those quick wingers like Morahan that Bristol have or, or Malins on the outside and Malins did get two tries in the match Bristol kind yeah, of ran he, away he with really it stepped up yeah Bristol kind of ran away with it at um in the extra time period they scored two tries one of them was quite early on Malins and then Piers O'Connor got the second one in extra time so I mean, it was it was kind of all wrapped up about by the first first half of extra time. But I think credit to Bordeaux because especially at the end of n- normal time, they were really making some inroads with um, with the pick and go side of things. Bristol's fringe defence couldn't really couldn't really cope with it, and I think they were almost quite lucky not to not to uh, you know. The, 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 Bristol were quite lucky not to not to Unconceded. lose. Yeah. yeah, not to have conceded because because there was one play, I think it was on about 78, 79 minutes maybe, where Bordeaux were really, really close to the line. And Benal, favourite favorite on this show, oh. he, um, he kind of did this really, really weird steal where he kind of flopped down on top of the ball. His arms were on the floor for about 0.1 seconds. And then he kind of popped up by bouncing off the player from his chest. And then getting onto his feet, and and the referee oh didn't actually see him flop down. So his literally his hands and knees were on the floor, and his and the guy's body was kind of underneath him, and then he Shit. kind of popped up again and, and made the steal. And the referee obviously didn't see that he'd gone off his feet first. So that was a very lucky penalty for for Bristol to get. And I think that's basically where the game was won and lost. Because if if Bordeaux hadn't conceded that penalty and Benel had been pinged for going off his feet, which he was, then. Bordeaux probably would have scored using the pick-and-go tactic. I was really impressed by one player in particular, actually, from Bordeaux. It was their sub-hooker. His name's Dweber. And he <laughs> looked absolutely explosive when he came on. Like, he, the line-outs functioned, functioned really well. And he also, in the carry, looked really, really strong. He's absolutely huge, obviously. But he scored their try in order to um, tie the game up and send it to extra time. So really impressed by him. Also, another point that I would make is Bordeaux had to play the whole of extra time with 14 men. 
Oh yeah. So it, they, they didn't get a yellow or a red card. They just got an injury, and it wasn't an HIA. So they weren't allowed to bring anyone on. They already made ja- all their subs. Bad. And I, I'll I tell you who that... was on real for Bordeaux as well. Jalibert. Yeah. He was unreal. He, he's so good, mate. He's actually sick. So yeah, Jalibert was the starting ten, and then they brought on Ben Botica, which I couldn't really see. Like Ben Botica tried tried hard to do to do what he could. Obviously, he tried to play a bit more running running style of rugby. But Jalibert his turn of pace again, and he just draws in defenders somehow, manages to beat them all. And he had an incredible first half, and then they took him off. And I think that they sorely missed him, especially during that last ten minutes, that last extra time period, because he would have been a game changer for sure. Also, I think Ben Botica missed a kick or something by quite a bit, which would have definitely won them the game. Hmm. But, well, I think it's um, interesting as well because like Bordeaux, they're smashing the top fourteen. Like they're top by what eight points above Lyon. Like Racing, I like fifteen points behind them. So they're, they're like that's a really great win for Bristol. Um, Bordeaux, arguably, probably like they were favourites in that competition. Um, Bristol, obviously, you have to, we know you have to remember that Redraja had uh, the Bordeaux had Redraja before. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He signed, signed from Bordeaux to Bristol, so he was dominating the top. Literally, like sways a league just having him. He's so open. Yeah, he's actually outrageous. I think I would go as far as to say he's in the top four or five players in the world for sure. He's he's like you can't beat him. I don't think I can't think I can't (laughs) think of many other players that I would think I'd rather have at playing at thirteen or on the wing. Really, like he is horrendously good. He's scary. Whenever he gets the ball, he looks like he's going to do something. Whether it's bouncing someone or running, stepping them, running around them. Going to do something. He's going to do something. (laughs) He's going to do. No, he is. He is. Give him the ball. But yeah. So congratulations to Bristol on reaching your first ever European final in the Challenge Cup. very much looking forward to watching that match again where you will play Toulon. So another giant of, of Europe. Um, they beat Leicester 34-19 on Saturday evening. You guys didn't watch that match, I'm guessing. No, I, I, hear, um, I hear Leicester were quite hard done by, though. Um, apparently, they played really, really well. Um, and apparently, the ref kind of fucked them over. But I don't know. I didn't watch it. But I'm, I will definitely be watching the final because... Toulon v Bristol. My money's on Bristol, but um, I don't know. I don't know. If Randrada fires, then Bristol game fire. Over. <laughs> it's game over. But Toulon's will they team be... isn't that impressive, I don't think. Nah, They've got a few like... good players. They've got Nonu it's back. Nothing amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so random. It's like 38, yeah. I swear. Yeah, like injury. What would they call it? Like injury something. Pro. I don't know. So they're like allowed to bring in one extra player. So they bring in Manonu. Uh, <laughs> injury cover. Yeah, injury cover. Quite jokes actually. Yeah, I, I don't know. They they they've got a massive pack. Like they've got Oli Vaughan, the, the the French starting six who scored against England that that runaway try uh, in the Six Nations this year. They got Parise, but other than that, like they got Bryce Team playing at thirteen. Don't know if you guys remember. He used to play for Worcester and the Chiefs yeah, and New Zealand. I watched the first half of the game and then I fell asleep because I was really tired after goal. <laughs> um, but he, he was he was he was actually really good to fair Bryce Team. He was yeah. he was good was, in the centres. Yeah. So I guess one to watch in the final really. But other other than that, they got Takalua and I mean Takalua. He's a good player, but he was playing for Newcastle when he was playing the Premiership. So how good can he? 
really be. So do do we do we? Who's got so massive quads? So. <laughs> he's got the biggest legs I've ever seen on the on the smallest man ever. But um, let let let's talk about predictions then. Let, let's finish the episode by talking about predictions for the sure. for the finals. So we've got Racing ninety two versus Exeter Chiefs. Maliki, let's start with your prediction for that. Uh, I think it's going to have to be Exeter. Just grind our win. They seem like the most dominant team uh, by quite a long way, in my opinion. Unless Finn Russell and Vakatawa and like, all their big players for Racing have like an outstanding game and just something doesn't click with Exeter, but I can't see that happening. Yeah. Maxin? Oh, I completely agree. I just think also judging, but I mean, it's quite a while away, I think. If I'm correct, it's on the 17th of October. So it's still a while. Um, but no, I, I, um, same as Mal, I, I can't see them Exeter losing, to be honest, especially because Racing were not impressive whatsoever against Saris. Um, whether that was Saris playing well, I don't know, because I, I didn't think Saris played particularly well either, uh, but almost won. Um, so I think Rassing have got to, as Mal said, play extremely well to be extra, um, extra the machine. So I don't know, Ed, what do you think? Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think you've basically summed it up for for everyone there. I think I think extra are probably the ones to beat. They're they're the informed team that I don't know how long it's been since they. They lost a match when they played their full first team. But it's going to be certainly an interesting contest. And I would like to see a game with lots of running rugby, but with Exeter playing, I'm not sure whether that's what we'll get. <laughs> Some of Nigel Owens isn't refing. Yeah, please, not Nigel. But, um, no, and then let's do our predictions for the Challenge Cup final as well. So we got Toulon versus Bristol Bears. Maliki. Bristol. I I love love their team. Really exciting to watch. I find um, got a lot of like young players as well as like big stars like uh, Randrandra, obviously. But um, yeah, I just can't see them losing. Mm, I'd agree. And I feel they also have quite a good chance of doing well in the Premiership as well. To be honest, yeah, like, I think they could make the Prem final potentially. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I'd also say like it's funny they've got a lot of young players. But funnily enough, like, for example, Max Malins and Ben Arley have actually won Champions Cups before in Europe. So I don't think they're unfamiliar with that kind of environment in, like, in that much of like, that kind of final. Um, so I think they'll definitely win it. Toulon, obviously, they basically um, beat Leicester not very convincingly than we know how shit Leicester are. Um, so, yeah, Bristol for me. Awesome. Yeah, I think, I think the same with Randranda. So that's literally the reason they're going to win. If he's not injured, then they win. That's simple as for me. Um, well, I guess that's all we have to talk about. We'll be back again soon, I'm sure, with a lot more um, reviews and news about the Premiership rugby that's um, upcoming, up and coming. Well, hopefully, Rory McConaughey will be playing again and we can talk about him a bit more because we love talking about him. So I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening. Make sure you go and follow our Facebook and Instagram pages. Lots more dog slash rugby themed content for you on there. And we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you very much for listening and watching. Goodbye. Rugby.